With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. So we can probably uh, dispense with the chit-chat and get on with this since uh, you got to be at a brothel or something by 9.30 or whatever. Yeah, I think you know this guy even. He's got to go drink bourbon. That's more important than talking about Illinois and Purdue football, let's be honest. <laughs> well, it's beer aged in bourbon barrels, so it's even more unique than that. It's Ooh. alcohol. It's better than both of these football programs right now. It gets you drunk. <laughs> Welcome, welcome to the timely return of the Hammer and Ales podcast. I know it has been a while, but we have had our producer, Dr. Juan Crespo, traveling the world to Australia, to Germany, uh, to Michigan multiple times. And he's been busy. We've all been busy, but we have returned post-Iowa this week. And later on in the podcast, we will also have Paul Banks of the Sports Bank and the Let's Get Weird Sports podcast. Paul is an actual Illinois Fighting Illini alum, and he will be on to talk a little bit about the Fighting Illini and their huge upset of Wisconsin this past weekend before they come to West Lafayette. But first, we're going to talk a little bit about Iowa, and with me is Juan back in Pasadena after being around the world almost literally. Well, I mean, the Australia trip was before the season, at least, but, you know, what can we say? We were just... uh... In light of the season, we were just out on injured reserve. Well, there you go. Exactly. Let's just put it that way. We're, we're back from injury. Injury from our egos. And we're just starting to put up with that and learning how... I'm personally trying to learn just how to manage my expectations this season. Because honestly, after the Iowa game, I was disappointed. But I'm still trying to manage my expectations of this team right now as well. Remembering it's like, yes, it's a bunch of freshmen. But damn it, we could have put ourselves in a position to win that game. I'm not saying we could have won, but we could have been in a much better position. Oh, I, I agree. And, you know, it's a little bit like the Nevada game. Well, the Nevada game was a little bit different because that's when we were favored. should have won. You know, you we play that again, I would still pick us to win that. You know, we were right there. The defense was playing pretty well. Um, it was funny because where we were sitting, there was a lot of really nice Iowa fans around us. But multiple times, I heard somebody probably about, I'd say, eight to ten seats to our right just just said, come on, guys, it's Purdue. <laughs> 
I will say the interactions on Twitter, it was like the Iowa blogs versus the Purdue blogs being like, okay, who could be most negative about this? Who who's the most pessimistic right now? Oh, I know the <laughs> Iowa blogs all week were like, oh, we're we're they thought they were in trouble. And I always think that we're going to have a shot against Iowa. And they they pointed it out. Brom will actually be aggressive and attack and try and do whatever he can to put points on the board. Whereas Ferentz, Ference is just so conservative. And you saw it again on Saturday, uh-huh. third and eight, he's throwing a three yard out and some, they do a lot of favors to help Purdue stop them when we play them. And we've seen that happen three years in a row right now. Well, and especially their, it's like, it's a different Purdue team that we usually see against Iowa. And Braun just loves to just run the same play against Iowa and daring them to stop them. Like in 2017, it was like I was watching the replay, a little bit of the replay of that game, and it was literally just Sindelar to Muhungu, same spot on the field, five, three, four, five plays in a row, and they got a touchdown out of it. And they just kept doing it again and again and again. And then last year, it was Blau to Terry Wright. And now we have Milton Wright, so I got to make sure I'm getting the right right. Um, <laughs> um, and, you know, he had the hat trick as well last year against Iowa. And then this year, it was looking to, to be Plummer and Bell. But Plummer, you know, still has, you know, a little bit of freshman mistakes in them, whereas Sindelar and Blau was a bit more, were a bit more veteran experience. And that... It couldn't last as long. And I think the turning point was that interception to start the second half. Right. When Plummer underthrew Bell. And after that, the offense was dead. Like, granted, Bell was a little shaken up after that play. But he did come in in the next drive. But after that, I was when I was doing the write-up, I looked. I, Purdue only had about 25 yards of offense after that interception on the next five possessions. Mm-hmm. And that included the field goal where they had lost a yard. It was just like, it was just the offense died. I, and it's like, I don't know what happens. Like, Iowa still has a great defense. Like, don't credit where credit is due. And that might have been part of the issue. But it just it just felt like it was a different team, even though I, I don't know what happened. Did, did you see anything different during that time in the second half or what? I think part of it came from just not really being able to run the ball. And they were they were uh-huh. at least trying it. Worship got a carry, I know. And Doru had, you know, they were trying to work it with Doru. And they were even trying a couple of plays with Plummer, uh, which scared the living hell out of me as a result. But... I agree with you that the the underthrown pass to Bell it was kind of it was almost right at me and it looked like it was going to be a uh, a great throw. I mean, he was open and everything else and then it just kind of died and just the way that the angle was looking like it was coming right at me and then he just wasn't able to drop it in and it ended up being a really empty really easy interception. Right. And, and I think that kind of shocked everybody and you know, every everything kind of fell apart from there. Yeah, and I remember there were also a few passes later on that Plummer could have had like another two or three interceptions, but the Iowa players just ended up dropping the ball or were aiming to bat it down. But if they wanted to, they could have easily grabbed it. But that could also just be, you know, Plummer's still a freshman. And maybe I just need to like, you know, manage my own expectations right now because I've been gone like for like the last two games and, you know, seeing what and then I came back and saw the Maryland game. I was like, oh, we're bouncing back. Hooray. Maybe we're not just quite there yet but at the same time there was some iffy play calling like going for those two field goals as well when we were already in the red zone or at least one of those was in the red zone just get in the field goal that's why i joked after iowa got the touchdown that, okay okay guys we only need five more field goals to win this game and we can do I, it and i'm with you i i agree that the 
when they went for the field goal after Mackey got the interception and took it down inside the 10, that was the one I'm like, why are you doing this? Uh, you need two touchdowns. It doesn't help you at all going from 12 to nine. Uh-huh. And you've struggled to move the ball at all in the second half at that point. Go for it. Go for the touchdown. You, you're that close. Take a shot. I mean, worst case, they're going to be punting it back to you because they weren't doing anything offensively. And then that was also why... I was bothered by the decision for the first onside kick because we had three timeouts and three minutes left. That was plenty of time to trust the defense to get a stop uh, and get the ball back. But you gave them a short field and they hit two running plays and that was it. Actually, I think that ended up being a blessing because that drive only took them like not even 30 seconds off the board. So, I mean, yeah, l- looking back or like, you know, at the time and even looking back, it's like, oh, we shouldn't have done that. But at the same time, their offense was off the field pretty quickly. So we had another chance. And that was another thing that kind of irked me looking back was that final drive. It was just like, OK, whatever, we'll just try to go down the field. And then suddenly, like long past the bell and we're kind of within scoring distance. And we're like, OK, you know, we still got like a minute and a half left. Like, let's get a quick touchdown here get the onside kick and, and uh, try another onside kick. But then even then there was like two times in a row that or maybe not two times in a row, but two plays where as soon as Plummer got the snap, he ran for it. And it was, and there was, I remember there was one where he started running and literally started running to the sideline, like parallel to the line of scrimmage and didn't even get there. He got tackled just before. So they had to burn another timeout. I think it was their last timeout as well on that, or maybe a penultimate one, but it was just like, you know, you're already in scoring position. Like this is a chance and we're making these kind of decisions. I remember these kind of decisions were also made in the Nevada game when Sindelar was still playing. Mm-hmm. It was it was just it was just a bit of a head scratcher there at the end. And that's I mean part of me cuz I wrote out the the quick rap and I was rightfully called out for being negative. But at the same time when I look back I'm like, you know, we had a chance. Like, yes, I understand this team is young, but like and a lot of them are playing for the first time, but like still it's like some of these are coaching decisions and some of them are just like they've been playing football for, you know, at least five years, maybe. You know, mm-hmm. these are some of the things that you should know. Like once you're in D1, like, yes, you, these are the kind of plays that you should know what to do already, in my opinion. Well, And I think the other one was obviously the fumble that probably shouldn't have been a fumble, according to people on on Twitter and everybody else uh, with Anderson inside the 10. Honestly, from where we were sitting, it was very hard to tell because it was clear down at the opposite end of the field. I'm like at a very poor angle and they're going away from me. And I just kind of thought, okay, yeah, it was a fumble. And of course they didn't show the replay in the stadium at all either. And uh, if it it was possible, the cellular reception was worse in Kinnick than it was at (laughs) Rossade. Uh, because I was barely getting anything from the outside world. It's like I was watching a game in the 90s or something. Oh, no. <laughs> I know. But uh, but I couldn't tell if you know he was stopped or if it was really a fumble or what. But from the sounds of things, they should have blown the play dead. But he was also waving the ball out over the – trying to get the first down yardage and everything else. And well, I remember- that, that was a critical play because if you get three there, you're up at halftime. Mm-hmm. And you got a real shot. It's probably going to be first and goal. You got a real shot of getting seven, and that's the difference in the ball game in the end, too. Oh yeah, definitely. That that really didn't make a. Di- that really would have made a difference. But yeah, it was. It seemed like his knee was already down by the time they found. But I don't know. There was also a few plays later on that I think is in the next half where 
the Purdue players had clearly tackled the Iowa guy. I mean, he wasn't moving, but the refs took a while to blow their whistles. I, I think that was just a tendency they had the whole game. Um, I'd rather have them be consistent the whole game, at least, in that terms. But then uh, I remember even leading up to that, he had he brought the ball back in, but watching the replay, Anderson had the ball pretty far out as well, and I thought that's how it got fumbled at first because it looked pretty, it looked pretty easily knockable from out there and it looked like he did just get it back but still like ball security is still kind of an issue whether or not the refs agree with us at times you know it's like you can't afford these kind of turnovers especially when you're on the road at a top 25 team right as and well you know we at least got one back with the Mackey interception but even then that felt kind of like a wasted opportunity because we only got three points off of it whereas I think they managed to get 10 points off of the turn. There are two turnovers because I know we had the two. And, uh-huh. Okay, they punted after we fumbled in the at the goal line, but they got a touchdown after the interception. Right. So that's a four-point difference off of turnovers. But still, they still had to drive 72 yards after the interception, whereas, like you said, we lost a yard and got a point and got three points. So. Right. Uh, that was just one where you wish Mackey had – just gotten into the end zone. Yeah, Looking and it looked back. like he had a shot at it at the end. But I mean, what can you do now at this point? All I mean, a lot of these are just learning opportunities for your team. Unfortunately, that's something Hazel always talked about. He had 39 learning opportunities and couldn't do anything with them. Um, but hopefully, I, Brom, I, I think Brom, is, Brom has shown quite a lot of growth with this team, and I, yes. I still don't think Plummer played that poorly. I mean, you no. have one interception. You go for 300 yards, you complete 60% of your passes on the road against a ranked team as a redshirt freshman. I mean, to me, I thought he played pretty well. And I think Purdue played well enough to be competitive, well enough to get a shot, to get have at least a chance for a win. And, you know, ju- they just weren't able to pull that off, and that happens. I'm still excited for the future. I think this team is trending up, and... I definitely think over the next three games, we've got a great chance. I think we can win all three of them. And You're more optimistic than me. <laughs> well, I think Illinois is, I hate to say it, but Illinois might be the best team of those three right now. <laughs> I mean, they just knocked off Wisconsin, which was shocking as hell. Uh, but we get them at home, and we've done, uh, Brom has done really well against Illinois, and I I still think that they are Illinois, and then you've got Nebraska seems to be falling apart at the seams where they're a home underdog to Indiana this week, <laughs> and then you have a Northwestern team that is just atrocious offensively, so I think Purdue's got a pretty good shot of getting all three of those, and if you get all three, then you get Indiana at home for a bowl again. I mean, we, we've won the last two. Uh, needing to beat Indiana for a bowl game. And if Brom were to get this team to a bowl after all the injuries, after the debacle at Nevada, which should have been a win, you know, that is one heck of a coaching job. And I think it will be a huge confidence boost for these freshmen going forward. I, I, for me personally, I expect two out of the three. And, uh, and we'll talk more about the Illinois game coming up. But, uh, you know, it's... I mean, yeah, I think the expectation is going to be at least win two out of these next three games. Obviously, you need to win, ideally win all three in order to at least be in a good position to get that bowl game. Because I don't think anybody has any illusions of beating Wisconsin, which means... (laughs) Right. Uh, Um, I think Taylor's still running from last year on us. Oh, God. 
but I think still trying to manage my own expectations. Like we got to win at least, I think two out of the three is at least doable. Like at least, I think at least beating Illinois and Nebraska is doable. Mm-hmm. Winning at Northwestern, no matter how bad they are, Northwestern is just one of those teams that Purdue struggles with. Um, but they it's can't like, score this year. They are awful offensively. And we can't run the ball. So let's. <laughs> well, um, we can at least score points. Northwestern. This is true. Not. This is true, but I don't know why, but it's like, it was just like one of those teams, like, it's just one of those teams we struggled with. Like, I remember, like, we only had... Northwestern has scored 7-30 against UNLV, which UNLV is putrid, 10-15-10-3. They have not scored more than 15 points against any team with a pulse. I know, but we haven't also beaten Northwestern since 2010. We haven't beaten Wisconsin since 2003, and it almost happened last year. I know. But still, like, me being the Purdue fan, it's like, ugh, we're going to drop Northwestern, aren't we? <laughs> Watch. We'll drop Northwestern and then shock Wisconsin and Madison. Hey, you know what? I'd be okay with that. I will be okay losing to Nebraska, losing to Illinois, losing to Indiana, for God's sakes, if we can just beat Wisconsin. No, no. Out of your mouth. Don't make me fire you. There's never an okay solution to lose to Indiana. <sighs> no, you can't fire me. <laughs> That's right. You have all the passwords. Exactly. <laughs> I'm the captain now. On that note, I think it's time to actually start looking ahead to next week. And after this break, we will bring in Paul Banks from the Sports Bank to talk about his Illinois Fighting Illini. All right. We are switching gears for a moment, and we're going to talk about the week ahead. We have... My co-host of the Let's Get Weird Sports podcast coming in, it is Paul Banks of the Sports Bank in Chicago. Paul, how are you today? I'm doing excellent, man. I, uh, I can't wait to go party after this. Well, there's no party like a Monday night party, is there? I mean, you've seen the ads that run for Monday night football, right? <laughs> uh, Paul is with us on the football podcast this week because he is actually a living, breathing Illinois fighting Illini football fan and alum. And I guess the first thing I've got to ask about Illinois before they come to Purdue this weekend is what the hell happened on Saturday in Champaign? How drunk was Wisconsin in that game? You know, part of me remembers that, you know, over the last couple of years, we've seen Wisconsin kind of come down to Champaign, or even when the game has been in Madison, they've done enough to get by with Illinois. They'd win by like a possession or two, and they'd they'd leave the Illini hanging around for three quarters, and then they just go and get back on their way with their season. So when I saw that 31-point spread, I'm like, no, that's that's stupid. That's ridiculous. I did not think they would actually win outright. I thought covering could happen. I guess this was just finally the year it happened. And I don't know. I did not believe they actually won until sometime Sunday afternoon. (laughs) By Sunday afternoon, I'm like, hey, you know, the Illini might win this game. They might pull the upset. I I think what's so strange about it is, you know, you had the similar thing last year with Purdue and Ohio State. But even going into that game, Purdue had shown some signs of they had won three in a row and were looking pretty good and looked like, all right, maybe if they get a couple of breaks, they could pull something off here. Illinois was a dead team walking before Saturday. And I'm watching the score at the bottom uh, there uh, in, in Iowa, and it just they couldn't get any kind of separation. And then we're taking the little train back to our car, and they have the Iowa radio broadcast, and they actually kind of simulcast the 
game-winning kick on the train and all the Iowa fans on the train went crazy because they're like, oh, hey, somebody beat Wisconsin for us. It's great. Yeah, you know, the night before, I was chatting with uh, Mike Sweeps, I guess as we would call him, but like my close group of people that I talk to on Twitter, and Travis, you definitely know at least a couple of them. Um, they're all Illini, and the conversation was, who's going to get their butts beat in worse, Northwestern in the 52-3 to drubbing or Illinois? And we were talking about, like, is Jonathan Taylor going to have 200 yards or 300 yards? And I still don't really know what to make of it because you can look at that box score and you can then say, what the hell happened? Well, I think uh, to extrapolate statistics out of one sample point, Illinois did score in Wisconsin in the first half. And that's the first time that's happened all season. So clearly the solution is just scoring on Wisconsin in the first half. And then you're going to win. That's just how it works. I forgot to say congratulations, Juan. I wanted to get that out of the way, too. Oh, Oh, thank you. (laughs) This is the first time I've talked to you because we've been on hiatus from Let's Get Weird. So so the big news is that Juan is uh, has found the Juan and he is actually going to be getting married. uh, And she accepted. uh, What was it last weekend or so? Yeah, last Saturday. So Juan will finally become a man soon. So congratulations. I've always been a man. (laughs) i've never needed anything to prove that well you have to be aged 40 if the mike gundy definition of manhood yeah i I just had my gundy mitzvah so (laughs) oh lord there is actually one stat um this is straight out of the illini game notes and they love to talk about this and that's forced they lead the nation in forced fumbles and fumble recoveries and they're up there in sacks and tackles for a loss. So this is a weird, bizarre, all-or-nothing defense in which they either turn the ball over and take it away from you, they hit you in the backfield, or they just give up a 50-yard play, or they just get gashed, and Nebraska puts up something like 690 yards of total offense or whatever the hell it was, which is crazy. Yeah, but like three-quarters of those recovered fumbles that Illinois has probably came from like the Michigan game because Shea Butter Patterson just loves to fumble that ball away. (laughs) And I think if you look at things, uh, Illinois three and four, they've been competitive in almost every game. I mean, nobody's blowing them out really. And that's what's got me a little bit concerned because I know most Purdue fans were looking at this before the season started and were thinking, Oh yeah, that's a win. Uh, But really only one that kind of ran away from them was Minnesota You've got the requisite loss to Eastern Michigan because Eastern Michigan just owns the Big Ten recently. <laughs> <laughs> but only four-point loss to Nebraska, and the uh, Michigan game was down to three points in the fourth quarter. Uh, so this is this is a quality – I don't want to say quality team, but it, they're not as bad <laughs> as we had thought. They're not as bad as we had thought, and – as Purdue has proven this season, you can't take any victory for granted because uh, look what happened at Nevada. Well, I will say that um, if I'm a Purdue fan looking at this game, you got to approach it with, do you believe that there's a turnover fairy that comes and magically helps with luck in the ball bouncing your way? Or do you believe that turnovers are forced by by the drills? Like they've got the peanut punch machine, the peanut Tillman contraption in the team room and every defensive player when they goes in he's got to slap it before entering and exiting the team room so it's a little of both i mean they they, they're good at turning you over but 
they had a lot of luck too. And it just, if you're a Boilermaker, you got to hope that the luck's going to run out. Well, and that that's not good because Purdue has been underwater on the turnover margin pretty much all season long and uh, had some bad luck on Saturday with, oh, is that a turnover or not? <laughs> with uh, the fumble by Amada Anderson Jr., which ended up being kind of the difference in the ball game. But I think what's going to be interesting is you have the movable force against the resistible object, uh, that being the Purdue rushing game against the Illinois run defense. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Illinois is 13th in the Big Ten against the run at 195 yards per game given up. Uh, Only better than Rutgers, which... uh, well, it's like it, it's hard to believe there are things worse than Rutgers at this point. Yeah, it's unfair to even call Rutgers like a thing. Like the old cliche of a coach would be like, well, let's see you do better. It's like any of us could go out and have one passing yard. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you have a very bad run defense giving up 200 yards per game against a Purdue rushing defense, which is the worst in the Big Ten by a wide margin. Uh, Purdue is averaging 59.1 yards rushing per game. 13th place Rutgers is averaging 110, so you're looking at a 50-yard gap per game. Now, Purdue has made up for it by having the best passing offense in the Big Ten. We're also averaging more conference wins than Rutgers. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm I'm trying to look here and see what the yards rushing, uh, the rushing offense nationally where Purdue ranks, uh, and it's got to be bad. Uh, at 59, we are 129th. The only team rushing worse than Purdue is Akron. Suck it, Zips. Uh, Akron is 0-7. They are rushing for 49.7 yards per game. And this is, again, how pronounced the gap is. It's not just that Purdue is bad. They are so bad at it that 128th place Texas State is averaging 82.8 yards per game. So even they rush for 23 more yards per game. Yeah, and they have freaking Sinbad playing offensive tackle and defensive tackle for them. (laughs) Boy, that's a deep cut. <laughs> oh, yeah. Our Gen Xers and baby boomers will like that joke. Millennials will be like, what the hell is he talking about? So Purdue is the worst rushing team in a major conference in America by a wide margin because you have Virginia is 120th, and they still get 109 yards per game. West Virginia, 126th at 88.1 yards per game. Washington State, who doesn't even bother to run the ball most of the time, uh, they are at 92 yards per game, but they are skewed because they have the fewest rushing attempts of any team in the nation at 119. Purdue has actually run the ball 194 times. <laughs> well, I, I don't really, I'm not sure I understand why Purdue, are they three-point favorites? What was the last time I checked? Eight. Yeah, okay, yeah. I do remember it was pretty high. <laughs> I knew it wasn't double digits, but do, how do you guys feel about that? I think it's a little high, especially based on what Illinois just did to Wisconsin. But I also know that Purdue's offense is still, I mean, it's so incredibly skewed passing-wise 
because it's still a productive offense. Uh, we're the leading passing offense in the Big Ten uh, by a fairly decent margin, and that's with a backup redshirt freshman at quarterback. So the passing game is working. It can move the ball, uh, even with Jack Plummer running things. We're at 32 point, or 324.9 yards per game passing, and uh, the Illinois Past defense has not been fantastic, so it looks like we're going to be able to move the ball. And even in some of these games, Purdue has had some success running the ball. Uh, King Daru has uh, he had a pretty good game against Minnesota, and I think some of it is skewed by horrifically bad games against TCU, Penn State, and Iowa. But uh, still, it's it, Purdue has had some moments, and they've had some promise, and the defense. Looked pretty solid on Saturday against Iowa, making them settle for field goals. But part of that is Iowa. Uh, look, Iowa's uh, conservatism on offense makes Liberty University look like a uh, godless liberal hellscape. <laughs> I will say this: Illinois will either win by one point or Purdue will win by like twenty-five. There's going to be no middle ground there, honestly. I would agree with that because entering Saturday, the biggest highlight of the Lovey Smith regime at Illinois was the day he decided to grow his beard out. <laughs> and and it, he has shown a propensity to have that one game a year where they just get mad and take it out on somebody. Uh, I know Minnesota it was last, last year they year. just beat Minnesota last year. They beat them like a drum. And you're just like, where on earth did that come from? And then that 2016 win over Michigan State, I don't know if that was like that Spartan team had entered full eye to gaff mode by then, which they were kind of in for a lot of that season, but they won that. But obviously the talent on that side, I mean, that was the year for the playoff and Illinois somehow won that. But, you know, you still look at his record against non-Rutgers Big Ten and I, I think I've answered my own question as to why Purdue is such a big favorite for this. But in the end, it's a matchup of the two fan bases whose natural state is to constantly be terrified that the other shoe is about ready to drop. <laughs> I think Juan said it best on our Twitter on Saturday how Daryl Hazel now has a better record in Champagne than Paul Christ. <laughs> it's true. Well, I said that Daryl Hazel that Paul Chris has more losses against Lovey Smith than, than Daryl Hazel does. But, <laughs> yeah, that's also true. Hazel did go 2-0 and in Champaign. Yeah, and that, well. that's one of the more inexplicable stats, that Hazel won more Big Ten games in Champaign, Illinois, than he did in West Lafayette, Indiana. Well, one of the tweets we got was, uh, Paul Chris is making a bad mistake using all his timeouts. He clearly should have saved until the end to ice the kicker. Oh, yeah. <laughs> But well, I, I, definitely with Juan here in the, I think Illinois either wins by one or you just see Purdue run away with it. And I, I'm still in the Purdue can make a bowl game, but I think it's more the, the next three opponents are just that bad. And I kind of hate to say it, but I think Illinois might be the best of the three between Illinois, Nebraska and Northwestern right now. I would say you might want to call this the, um, the Motor City Bowl, Little Caesars Bowl, Quick Lane Bowl elimination game. Well, I, I have said all year that Purdue is going to need to end up in the Quick Lane Bowl. That way it can win the Detroit Bowl game three times under three different sponsors against three different directional directionals Michigan uh, because we beat Central in the 
Motor City Bowl. We beat Western in the Little Caesars Pizza Bowl. And then now we could play Eastern in the Quick Lane Bowl. Of course, you don't know. I mean, we've already said that Eastern Michigan is the Masters of the Big Ten. So be careful what you wish for. Actually, I don't think we would play Eastern because I think now the Quick Lane Bowl is Big Ten versus ACC. I, I th- oh, God, that means we could potentially get a Purdue-Miami suck-off. That would, oh. <laughs> I guess, isn't that what we're calling? Rutgers actually plays Liberty this weekend. Like, I had to do a double take to be like, that's actually a thing? Like, you would subject human beings to such an event? Like, Well, I also saw uh, New Jersey Live or whatever it is had an article today saying that if Rutgers pulled off the upset, because they're not favored in that game... <laughs> It was like that and their other I can't remember what other what their non other non-con win was this year. They UMass, would have paid UMass. Yeah, they would have paid 2.3 million dollars for those two wins, which was more than Chris Ash's buyout. Good god. Okay, the Mac is the secondary tie-in. Uh so if there is not a Big 10 team, uh, if there's not a Big 10 team or an ACC team available, they can take it in and under the terms of the contract they they can basically jump in if there's not enough ACC or Big Ten teams. So, yes, we okay. could play Eastern Michigan. Still possible. Yeah. And, and this is a bowl game that Rutgers has won as recently as 2014. Yeah, that was a weird season for them. Like their first, I mean, they beat Michigan, but that was also a bad Michigan team. It was like Illinois beating Michigan State in 2016. I was like, what? <laughs> I can't get over how Lovey Smith now has as many top ten wins as Jim Harbaugh does at Michigan. Oh God. <sighs> yeah, because he beat Wisconsin in twenty sixteen. If you're talking about top ten when they were top ten at the time, then yes. Who was the other one? Well, that's the only one that who was top ten at the time when they played them. Yeah. I but see if that. you count like who where they ended in the final year, then I remember Penn State did that weird thing where they went from sucking completely to Rose Bowl team, but I don't know if they finished anyway. They, then they got they totally choked against USC in that Rose Bowl, which is beautiful. Oh like, yes. Speaking of which, I now have my Rose Bowl tickets for this game for the Rose Bowl game this year. Nice. And just what it's probably going to end up being like Ohio State, Wisconsin, or Penn State. But hey, I live ten minutes from the Rose Bowl. I might as well take advantage of it while I can. You need to get a Minnesota Oregon one where the uh, uniform colors will burn your retinas. Oh God, no. Well, I am in row 69, so it should be a nice game. Nice. Hey! I've been tracking this all year, and you'll like this, Paul. Rutgers needs to score 62 points in its final four games of the Big Ten games of the season against Illinois, Penn State, Michigan State, and Ohio State. Otherwise, they will go down as a worse offense, at least points-wise, than 1981 Northwestern, which is generally considered to be the worst Power 5 team of all time. That a, yeah, that was a Dennis Green year, right? Yes. That that Northwestern team also had a nine-game Big Ten schedule, got shut out five times, and scored 75 points. Rutgers has already been shut out three times and has 14 points total through through five games. We need to start running like a tracker, like a clock on both of our sites. Like when they do, um, you know, like cable news when they'll have like a countdown to the debate or whatever thing. That's why I was kind of disappointed that they they scored against Minnesota because I'm like, if you're gonna suck, suck epically, go down in history. Yeah, seriously, like that. I I, I did I did watch part of that game, and I know it came in garbage time, but 
Come on, PJ, stop that, man. You gotta. You need this. You want your defense to pitch a shutout. <laughs> One so thing I also forget to mention about this game is you guys will get to see perhaps the best name in all of college football oh. in wide receiver Josh I Matter Bebe. Oh wow! Because think about all you can do with, with like tweets in your writing. You could be like I Matter Bebe driving me crazy from like every pop song ever, or like. Hit me a matter, baby, one more time. <laughs> I'm just spitballing here, but you guys can learn that stuff. I, I do remember that after Jawan Johnson graduated from Purdue, there was another Jawan Johnson we could have recruited. I believe ended up at Marquette and literally could have walked in and been Jawan Johnson the year after Jawan Johnson graduated. I Yeah, I am familiar with that, dude. Just like there's like 27 Michael Bennett's and... Like six Will Smiths. <laughs> Just living that life some consider a myth. <laughs> In West Philadelphia, born and raised. <laughs> One's going to be like, no, stop rapping. And on that note. Alrighty, well. When the uh, white guys are rapping, yeah, it's time to call it a night. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Paul, well, we will let you go so you can get to your bourbon drinking on a Monday night, which I believe is called alcoholism. But uh, sounds fair. <laughs> but thanks for coming on and discussing football. And we uh, we promise that we'll have another weird podcast before too long, and uh, we'll end this hiatus. But uh, it took us six weeks to get another football one going, so you know how how good we are with these things. Hey, we're just coming back from injured reserve. Yeah, there we go. Yes, we we gotta train with the under twenty ones first before we go to the senior team. <laughs> So thank you for commenting on the Beef House Darby, and And, uh, just thanks for stopping by. We thank you for listening and uh, putting up with our shenanigans. So for Juan and Paul and myself, this is Travis Miller saying goodbye from the Hammerin' Ales podcast.